do you? And when you tell them about Christianity and faith, I had this bizarre episode once when I went with a lady. She was about 80, and I was about 30 at the time, uh, last year. Uh, and, uh, and she opened the conversation and said something like this. My husband and I, well, to the shock and horror of the couple who were standing at the door who looked across to me and this lady, <laughs> assuming I was the husband. Anyway, but the, the response we typically get is, is, oh, I love a bit of faith. What do they mean by that? What is faith? What does it look like? How do I know I have it? Is faith important? Is the object of faith important? It's Mothering Sunday, so it seems appropriate. We ought to be speaking about Mothers, fathers too. And I want to bring to you Jochebed. We've read about her. We're not so familiar with her name, perhaps because her name isn't used in, in that passage. It's referred to elsewhere. She's the mother of Moses. She's living at an incredible time in Jewish history. They're enslaved to the Egyptians. This is real biblical history. Because of their incredible rate of procreation, that they're growing out of control, or so the Egyptians think, and so they put in a population control program. Simple. You just assassinate baby boys. Throw them. We have them killed by the midwives, but the midwives refuse to kill them. So Pharaoh comes with, up with an ingenious plan that every Jewish family on the pain of death is obliged to obey that you're to take your first you're to take the male child born to your house and toss him into the Nile to its death it's into that situation and that climate that we meet Jochebed she is a mother who's given birth to a child listen to this so we'll look at the passage together I'll break it up into two parts firstly faith in action I want you to show you the faith of this incredible mother Faith in action, verses 1 to 4. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levi woman. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Ouch! You can imagine what the climate was like here. That If you, if you were pregnant, and in those days you, you couldn't tell if it was a male or a, fe- or a female uh, child, you were hoping, please God, let it be a girl, Please! But this woman, Jochebed, she gave birth to a son. Now there's already two kids in this family. There's Miriam, several years older, and there's Aaron, three years older. Exodus tells us his age difference there. And so Moses is born, although he's not yet called Moses. The name comes later. The text continues, it says that when Jochebed, Moses' mom, saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. What do you think Jochebed saw in Moses, little baby Moses, yet to be named? When she saw he was a fine child, she hid him. What do you think she saw? 
healthy baby? But I wonder. Let me take you to Hebrews. Let me take you to Hebrews. Hebrews 11. Would someone read that out? Someone tell me, what, what, what do we see there that the New Testament, shedding light on Old Testament truths, tell us? What did she see? What did they see? Is it up there? Next slide, please. Yeah, someone read that. Someone read that. What did she see? Oh, yeah. So I think it seems, the text is telling us, friends, can you see? That, that when they saw this child, they saw that he was no ordinary child. In Acts 7, I think it's the next one slide. In Acts 7, we're told again, this time from Stephen, that the time was Moses was born, he was no ordinary child. Moses' parents deserved. And I know it's not clear in the Exodus text. But the New Testament tells us that his parents discerned or perceived that this was a, a unique, extraordinary child. We don't know how. Not that he looked like any other child, but they discerned, most probably spiritually, prophetically, that this was a child of destiny. So it wasn't this protection she's going to provide from Moses now. Isn't so much that he's a cute, lovely, cuddly child. Look, uh, Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, his parents, hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. They had discerned that there was something so unique about this child that they were obliged to risk their lives and hide this child and disobey. Look, I know we don't think much of disobeying government, do we? I mean, I was driving behind Jenko this morning, trying to. 90 k's down, down, not a highway either. So he doesn't care much about the state, does he? Oh, that's a joke. I'm sure Jenko wouldn't do that. It'd be more like 110. <laughs> but look back then, you did not disobey Pharaoh. Because he didn't just lock you up, it was off with your head. And so they perceive there's something so extraordinary about this child that they risk life and limb. And look, we're told in faith, it's an act of faith in God that they hide him. You see, faith, authentic faith, places greater consequence in God than in man. We trust it will never happen, but there may come a time when the Australian government may pass legislation forbidding you to meet in an uh, in independent church to worship Jesus. Uh, they do that in other parts of the world now. Now, if that happens, what will you do, Greg? What will we do? Will we obey the state? Or will we obey God? Who says, incidentally, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. What will we do? What will faith do? What will faith call you and I to do? Should the state forbid us from meeting to worship Jesus? We will. We will meet whatever it takes. 
However we do, we, we will because, you see, genuine faith places greater consequence on God and his word and his commands than it does on visible man. Faith in action. Let's continue verse 3. When she could hide him no longer. Look, I want you to imagine this. I mean, you've had, a number of you have had children here. Yeah, they're not quiet, are they? All the time. And look, there comes a time when it was impossible to keep this child hidden. Not only that, look, remember, I mean, the, the Egyptians had put this on, on the nation. What would your neighboring pair, mother and father have done to their male child by now? It'd be in the Nile. And you've kept yours. How, how, what kind of impact would this have on the community? Someone is bound to say something to the state. And so when it was impossible to keep him hidden any longer, we're told, look, this is what she does, we're told, that when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it in pitch and tar. I know what she's going to do. It's obvious what Jochebed is going to do now. She's going to throw him in the Nile, isn't she? She is, after all, after the three months of disobeying the king, risking her life, she's now, because he's crying too much, he's getting too obvious, people in the community are finding out, she's going to put him in the Nile to his death. Is that how it is? Is that what's being played out here? Look at the details. It certainly looks like that, doesn't it? But look at the details. She got a papyrus basket for him and coated it in tar and pitch. What is this? Let me mention the word nowhere and let me ask you, what is this? It's a, it's an ark. She's going to put her baby into the Nile, yes. But she's going to do everything humanly possible to ensure that her baby has every chance of survival. Yes, she has to have now at last. It's impossible now. It's too obvious to the community. She has no choice but to finally put him in, in, into the Nile, but she will do it in faith. Let me tell you something about faith, friends. You see, there is a feeling that faith is so trusting in God that you just don't do anything. You know, I believe God's going to provide for the needs of my family but I'm not going to wake up at seven in the morning and get a job because I have faith in God. That's not faith. That's not faith. That's presumption. You see, something about genuine, real faith, it acts, it works, it does everything within human remit. It puts human activity within the circumference of faith. Look, here's, this is an example of what faith is not. So there was a rabbi, a priest, and a Christian. And he said, look, you know, I think we ought to donate some money to God. And so the rabbi says, Let's, uh, this is what we'll do. We'll draw a circle, 
and I'm going to throw some money up into the air, and whatever lands within the circle will donate to God. That'd be an act of because that's not really faith. So the the rabbi says that, that was a priest. The rabbi says we'll do the same, but whatever money lands outside the circle will donate to God. He goes, yeah, but even that doesn't seem like faith. I know what we'll do. We'll throw the money up in, into the air, and whatever money God wants to keep, He'll keep, and whatever lands is ours. <laughs> now that's faith. But it's not, is it? You see, genuine faith utilizes human ingenuity, does everything it possibly can to contribute. Look, you wanted a pastor, someone who was absolutely rubbish at his job. So what did you do? You put a process into place to find the worst possible candidate you could get. You didn't just sit down and look, hey, I want one of the emphases of the ministry that I want to bring to you here which I doubt isn't lacking anyway, is to be prayerful. But you didn't just pray, did you? What did you, someone, Linda told us, what did you do, Linda? How did you start this action of faith in seeking for a new pastor? So in every stage, you acted as a, from an overflow. Did you believe that God would provide you a pastor? And so you acted towards that genuine faith always does the human element, friend. It's not faith. Just put your fingers in your ear and your hands over your eyes and just to stand back. Well, if God wants to keep that bit of money for himself, he can, I'll throw it up and let him keep it. Jochebed knows that. She does everything humanly possible for her son. She, she makes an ark. She, she places him, listen to this, she placed a child in it and she placed it among the reeds. Well, why has she done that? Well, what's that about? probably Jeff but certainly to keep what happens in a, in a, in a, in a fast flowing river if you put something in the middle she put him inside where there was a level of protection what dwells in the, in, 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 in the Nile alligators in the deeper water she puts him she does everything humanly conceivable to ensure his survival. You see, here is a mother. This isn't cowardice. She isn't just abandoning her child to the water. She's not just throwing him to her death. She knows he's no ordinary child. She knows that this child has a destiny of something she doesn't understand. So she must now obey the king, but she will do it in faith. She believes the child has a future, so she will do everything humanly possible to ensure that he has a future. She makes an ark for him. She covers it in pitch. She places it in a safer part of the Nile. And she does more. I want to show you secondly. She does more. So we have faith in action. We'll now see faith rewarded. Faith in action. Faith rewarded. Verses 5 to 10. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile. Sorry, let me just give you verse 4. She sent her sister 
to stand at a distance. I think we're going back a slide, please, Ricky, to see what would happen. Why is Miriam, after casting, uh, sorry, Jochebed, after casting her son into the Nile, sending her daughter to watch? What's she watching for? What is Miriam watching for? I want to show you some. Yeah. And to see what would happen to the child. Jochebed, at this juncture, is expecting what? She's expecting? She's expecting something. She's expecting a miracle. You wouldn't send your daughter to watch. She hasn't sent her to watch the son die. That'd be morbid, wouldn't it? She sent her daughter to watch the miracle. Faith Genuine faith not only acts in obedience, but expects the miracle. Let me ask you a question. When you pray, and when I pray, let me ask myself the question. Do I send a Miriam out to watch for the answer and for the miracle? Do I expect God to answer? Do I believe he will? Do I put an infrastructure in place that will see and discern and appreciate and rejoice in the answer? Do I really believe that Jesus answers the response to faith? Jochebed did. She said, Miriam down the road. And we can only imagine, she said to Miriam, Miriam, today you will see that your mother's faith in God will be rewarded. I want you to go, and I want you to watch, and I want you to bring me news, Miriam, of God's miraculous deliverance for your baby brother. So what's going on here? Faith in action, and faith that expects God to deliver the goods. And let me show you that. I jumped ahead earlier, but let me take you to it now. Faith rewarded. And Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. Her attendants were walking along with her down the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. It's incredible, this story. It's one of my favorites in the Bible. Of all the people to be bathing at that spot in the Nile that day, it just happened to be the very daughter, the daughter of the very king who'd ordered the death of little babies. Miriam is watching. This is obvious it's Pharaoh's daughter. What do you think would have been going through Miriam's mind when she sees that the Pharaoh's daughter has taken notice of the little child. What would she have been thinking? What would she have been thinking? Panicking, absolutely. I mean, this has got to be, hasn't it? This has got to be the worst case scenario. If, if, if Jochebed knew anything of this, we don't know how much she could see at this juncture, then this must have tested her faith to 
its limit. Some of you would have heard of Stephen Furtick. Now, look, you'll hear me from time to time quoting people as I speak. I, I don't always agree with everything or every bit of theology of the people I may quote in a sermon. And I wouldn't necessarily agree with everything about Stephen Furtick. But I want to show you this quote from his book that I've read called Sun Stand Still. If you're not daring to believe God for the impossible, you may be sleeping through some of the best parts of your Christian life. And if the size of your vision for your life isn't intimidating to you, there's a good chance that it's insulting to God. Did you get that? If the size of what you were praying for, or what you're believing for, it isn't big enough to, or impossible enough for you to trust in God, then it may, be in, it may be insulting to God. Let me ask you this. Let me rephrase it. Is what you're praying so colossal and so huge, so out of reach, that it's intimidating? Is it so impossible that you can hardly bring yourself around to believing it? Because if it isn't, your prayers or my prayers may just be insulting God. Because if it really is within my remit, why do I need to pray? But why would you pray for something that's within your own remit? If the thing that I'm praying for isn't intimidating to me because of the colossal scale of it, then I may just be insulting God when I pray. Let me ask you, I was looking around earlier this morning, just looking across the fellowship here. Can we together believe something as intimidating as this? That this church, Rivergate Christian Community, can be a thriving, growing, diverse church that is turning Adelaide, north at least, upside down. That is an intimidating vision. And in fact, I want to suggest to you, if we don't have a vision that intimidating, then we're just insulting Jesus. We're just playing Jesus. Because Jesus is in the business of doing the most impossible of things. And there's no more impossible thing. Look, hey, I feel it right. And I'll tell you this. There is no more impossible thing than growing this church into a thriving community that's turning this world upside down. That is an impossible task, humanly speaking. Absolutely impossible. Forget whatever pet talk you may hear from my lips. It's an impossible, impossible, intimidating task. Thank God for that. Amen? Thank God for that. Because Jesus specializes in impossible, intimidating tasks. Does he not? Who knows? Who knows what Jesus may do with this impossible situation? Let me tell you, for this church to go anywhere, it is humanly 
impossible. You don't have a future. And if you don't believe that, then you're just lying to yourselves. I know that. I haven't come here to fix it because I can't fix a thing. But we know, and I know you know, that Jesus specializes in the impossible. He takes things that are nothing and makes something of them. He takes, look, he took water. I know you guys love water, but it's just water for goodness sake. And turned it into wine. Okay, turned it into wine. He took a cripple and made him walk. He took a dead man and made him live. And it's only he who can take a Rivergate Christian community that has no future, humanly speaking, and make it a thriving metropolis where the birds of the air perch and where you bear an influence and impact on your community. Miriam watches. Miriam watches and she can only be faced with this impossibility. Faith's test. What will become the outcome? Will Pharaoh's daughter apprehend this little child and bring him to his death? Will they investigate? Hey, I can't imagine they would have just killed the baby. They'd want to know who had dared disobey the Pharaoh. What will come of it? Listen to verse 6. It's incredible. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. It's an incredible reality, friends. That morning, a mysterious force steered this young lady to bathe at the Nile at that, Nile at that moment. A mysterious power led her to that particular spot. A mysterious influence caused her sight to see this little ark and a mysterious power outside of herself stirred her heart to take compassion towards the condemned, rightly condemned. These little babies, these people were a threat to Egyptian society. That baby was a threat to that young lady's future. Everything within her should have cried anger, rage, hatred. And instead, she felt sorry or compassion towards him. Verse 7, she asked Pharaoh's uh, sister, uh, so let me go back. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she says. Then his sister, Miriam, asked Pharaoh's daughter. So we can Im imagine that Miriam has been watching, runs, runs to her baby brother. I should imagine she runs to her baby brother because what does she want to do? What is she likely to want to do? Would someone give me some tissue? Thank you very much. She she's obviously apprehends the situation. She sees that she sees that the princess has got her baby brother in her hands. She runs. What's she running to do? Save him. He's my brother. Don't kill my brother. And yet she finds this. And let's listen to how she talks. 
And she goes, she says to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse your baby? Wow. Wow. What would possess her to do that? Wow. Friends, if you ever wonder how we'll reach the community, what we'll say to them. What will I say to somebody when I meet them in, I nearly said Sainsbury's, you don't have that, that's like Woolworths, okay? <laughs> or Coles. God is able to give you just the word to speak. Let me challenge you, don't ever be crippled to speak for Jesus. Because Jesus will give you just the word to say. Do it. Here's a challenge for this week. Let me give you a challenge. I won't quiz you on your next week. I don't want to embarrass you. Here's a challenge. That this week you speak to one person about Jesus and invite one person to Rivergate Christian community next week. And if you're thinking, how am I going to do that? Hey, you don't know me in words. You don't know me in words. When I was a little 11-year-old, I had a stutter and I wouldn't say boo to a goose. Jesus will help you to say exactly what you need to say. Can I challenge you to do that this week? That you speak to one person about Jesus and you invite one person to Rivergate Christian community. Miriam! I don't know why or how. But this has to be the spirit. Miriam says these incredible words. Shall I go and get a Hebrew woman, princess for you, who can help you look after this lovely child? It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It has to be God. And so her response is yes. Verse 8, go. And if Miriam was moving in the spirit then, she certainly was, wasn't she? Look at this. And the girl, Miriam, went and got, got the baby's mother. Wow. And Pharaoh's response, Pharaoh's daughter's response, take this baby to Jochebed now, to the mother, and nurse him for me, and I will pay you all the child's costs. Jochebed, in faith, kept her baby for three months. She knew it was a baby with destiny. When she couldn't keep him any longer, she put him or cast him into the Nile, but not to his death, into an ark. Pharaoh's daughter finds him, has compassion on him. Miriam brings Jochebed into the scene, and Pharaoh's daughter gives her back that day in her arms her boy and says you take care of him with my protection with my care and with my money it's a wow it's it's one of those wow moments of the bible a woman gives up that which she cannot keep. Does this ring a bell with a famous quote? 
to gain that which she cannot lose. She gives up her child to God and receives him back with compensation and support with everything she needs to take care of him. I want to suggest, friends, that Jochebed is one of the greatest women of faith in all of the Bible. I mean, who would do that? To give up their child like that? In faith. And God responds in giving her back her child. Here's what I want to take from you. I want to close soon. Our time is ending, friends. I want to give you a couple of points uh, from here. Let me skip to verse 10, please. Ricky, when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. The irony of it. Jochebed has her baby back. She raises him in full view of the community who must have watched on with just jealousy. Mm. Jochebed kept her baby. Eventually goes to Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh, in Pharaoh's palace now, is Moses growing up under his care, under his provision, under his education, who will eventually do what to Pharaoh? Sort him out, big time. That's God. That's God. And his faith rewarded. Hebrews 11, 11 let, me, let, me just, uh, let me just go to 1 John 1 first. Uh, uh, or even John chapter 1. Let me just say a word to mums. To all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, not of human decision or a husband's will, but of God. Let me just catch you mums. A lot of mums here, I'm sure. Look, we're not there just yet as a, a mum of, of a couple of young children, but there comes a time when all of you have faced handing your child over to God. Realistically, you did that from the moment they were born. You said, God, this child is yours. But there came a time when you handed him over to school, perhaps for the first day in school. First day in high school, first day uni, the day that they left home. I want to encourage you, mums, that when you handed your child over into the big wide world, you were handing a child back to God who's always God's. You see those words? Can you see what those words mean? Children born not of natural descent, not of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. When you hand your child over to God, and if you've already handed your child over to God, you're handing him to back to the God your child had always belonged to. Have you ever thought of being a mother in these terms? That that child is on loan to you. They're never really yours. And I say that, look, you know, being a father myself, that they were always born of the will of God, that they always belong to God, and that the season that you've had them was a season of trust when God loaned you that child to nurture and train in the Lord. When you let go of them, 
you're letting them back to God's cares. Watch and pray for them. Be on the lookout for God to do something miraculous in their lives. And you may be watching your kids just now, you're thinking, look, Montez, my kids are way off the rail. Hey, stand on the bank and watch on and pray on and believe on and see what God will yet do with his child. Trust your child back to the God who owns them, who's always owned them, who belong to him. Pray in faith and believe the impossible. And just a final word to the rest of us, to all of us who are mortals. Look, let me take it to Hebrews 11. One, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. In We have to exercise faith in a God that we cannot see. Faith is about exercising our trust in a God that we cannot see. Hebrews 11 verse 6, just to be further on, tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Can I challenge you to believe the impossible? To believe God. To pray the impossible prayers. To make them the focus of your daily prayers. Can I encourage you to believe the impossible? And to expect the impossible and to receive the impossible. Who knows? I don't say this lightly. But the answer to your impossible prayer may be waiting for you beyond this meeting. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? That the answer to your impossible prayer is waiting for you beyond this meeting. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. May we be people of faith. Faith in action, faith reward.